Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. Just because you are a meteorologist doesn't mean you're exempt from the hazards of severe weather. Our guest proves that point. Ed Mansuri, founder and CEO of WeatherStem, a company that utilizes a network of weather stations for emergency planning purposes, agricultural needs, and K-12 education, recently had lightning cause damage at his own house while he and his kids were home. We'll hear more about his experience and how it ties into his company's education and safety initiatives. We'll also learn about WeatherStem's new statewide mesostems. You won't believe all the information provided by this network of weather stations and data hub. Ed, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have you here. We had you on the TV iteration and we didn't really get to do a deep dive in what you do. You, first of all, you're a meteorologist, uh, yes, card carrying, mm-hmm. a Florida State and Penn State a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your meteorology background and then we'll dive right into the lightning strike of your home recently. Sure. I've wanted to be a meteorologist since a very young kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in upstate New York near the snow belts, so I was intrigued that overnight you could get two feet of snow. Right. So I had a career intention of meteorology literally since I was six or seven years old. And I lived about two and a half hours from Penn State, which has a very big and illustrious program. So I went to undergraduate school there. I was also able to pick up an engineering degree. uh, And I then worked for about a year and then went to graduate school at Florida State. Right. And um, I just have always um, had a passion for weather that um, has recently reemerged in the formation of this WeatherStem project. Yeah, and WeatherStem's amazing. Definitely make sure you're following it on Twitter and all the other social media platforms. But I want to. We're going to go all into WeatherStem, but something recently happened that is a bit ironic because you have this amazing home in Tallahassee, Florida. Mm-hmm. And why don't you tell us a little bit about this home? Because it was recently struck by lightning, and your WeatherStem units actually did do some lightning detection. I know you're interested, but just tell us about what happened that night. Set the stage. Sure. So it was on June 8th. It was a Friday evening, and it was me and my three kids. I've got nine year old twins and an 11 year old son. And we had a really intense thunderstorm move through Tallahassee. And it was moving on an interesting trajectory from northeast toward the southwest. Oh, wow, that is so it was weird. sort of retrograding yeah. back into the Tallahassee area. And we had my weather station recorded very intense wind gusts, 35, 40 mile an hour wind gusts, about an eight, nine inch per hour rain rate, uh, vivid lightning everywhere. And then it, it subsided. So the wind stopped, the rain stopped, and the sun started coming out. And I was getting ready to go out for a walk with the kids. And then I heard a tremendous, literally ear-ringing boom. Sounded like an explosion. And I have a large home, uh, and my kids weren't in eye shot. You right. know, and sometimes I have a my 11-year-old little boy is autistic. So, you know, sometimes he might wander out. So I, I had a very, um, a lot of anxiety for those few sure. seconds. I wanted to lay eyes on the kids. So we met, thank God, you know, I, I caught up with them in front of the stairs. And my youngest son, Mason, said, I smell smoke. So I sort of sniffed the air. I said, I do too. And it was coming from the area of the master bedroom. Oh, and wow. I wasn't going to take any chances. So I said, get the dog, get in the car. So we got in uh, the, the garage, got in my SUV, and we sat in the driveway, and I called the fire dispatch. Okay, good. And some of the folks from the city of Tallahassee came out. A couple uh, um, officers came out. 
and they checked the house, they checked the whole perimeter, and there was evidence of some smoke damage in the master bathroom. So the lightning had traveled in and, you know, the vanity where the lights are, uh, the breaker, all the GFI units were tripped. Uh, so, um, you know, they, they gave the all clear after they were able to validate that there was nothing on fire, there was nothing smoldering. And then from there, it just became very apparent that there was a lot of damage. Yeah. Uh, the Internet wasn't working. Uh, for starters, um, a number of the, um, you know, because I, I, I have a pretty large home. Um, it's, you know, I've got three very a active kids, so it's nice to have you that space. You have a home that was once owned by a professional football player. Is that right? Yes. Brad Johnson. Yep. Yeah. He, he was actually, a lot of people don't realize this about Mr. Johnson, is in addition to um, being the starting quarterback for Florida State, he was also a starting point guard on the basketball team. Oh, on the team. basketball team. And yep. had a, a nice pro career with, I, I believe, several teams in NFL. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I knew his grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> He's a very, and I had the opportunity to meet him. He's a wonderfully nice man. And um, so he actually, one of the features at the home is he built a basketball court for himself. So there's a lot of room. And uh, after all, I didn't purchase it from Mr. Johnson. I purchased it from the family that he had sold it to. I see. Um, and I've done a lot of, um, I would call them green enhancements. So yeah, I've tell, tell us about some of those. Sure. because we, And I want to get back around to your damage. But sure. I, I do want to talk about this amazing home, which actually has been featured in an article, uh, Tallahassee Magazine and some other things. So tell yeah, us about yeah. the unique green aspects sure. of your home. So um, when I uh, purchased the home, uh, you know, my kids at the time were, Two, year, two years old and four years old, you know, kids leave lights on all the time, leave doors open. So I said, I want to be here for a long time. So I put solar panels up. I have a 24 and a half kilowatt solar panel system, which is very large by residential home standards. Um, 88 solar panels. And then I also have geothermal heating and cooling. So um, the majority of my home's um, heating during the winter and cooling during the summer is coming from about 110 geothermal coils wow. that are in the backyard. I also have uh, isonine, which is a relatively um, space-age type of insulation, uh, all LED lighting. So, I mean, I, I do – a lot of people think, oh, well, it must be nice not to pay a power bill. I still pay a power bill, yeah. and it's still pretty high. Right. But it's nowhere near as high as it would be if I hadn't made those – green investments are, are, are you and I don't I've done a little research on this just for my own curiosity but are you actually ever giving any power back to oh the yeah grid? yeah mm -hmm. and, and there's two models uh, you know there's a battery model where you're going to store the current and then a capacitor and then draw from it when the sun's not out uh, and or in my case uh, I, there's actually on my meter it's there's a digital meter from the city of Tallahassee that has a, an arrow so when that arrow is pointing left that actually indicates that the solar panels are generating more current than the home is using. So there are times, you know, when the kids are away at school, when it's a sunny day, when there's not a lot of electricity being used, that we are pushing energy back toward the city of Tallahassee. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Now, I want to circle back around to your incident with the lightning strike mm -hmm. because you mentioned something and you often will hear, and I often tell my kids this, I was like, you know, don't don't go to the bathroom. Don't be in the shower mm -hmm. if there's an electrical storm. If there's mm -hmm. lightning, uh, and they will say, "Well, why, Dad?" I said, "You know, if, if the house is struck something, there's a lot of metal oh, piping yeah. mm -hmm. and, con and conductive materials mm -hmm. there, and you could be in danger." And, and you, you seem to suggest that that sort of happened there. You said there was damage in, in your bath, in master bathroom. Oh yeah, there's there, uh, there's no telling what if if um if my son my Max he likes to take baths in my bathroom. Mm -hmm. Had he been in the bath? During that event, there's no telling what could have happened. Exactly, and so I think no. that's a you know uh, for you, it's a yeah. sort of a scary event. Mm -hmm. But perhaps from that, we can sort of learn. That's confirmation that you know these lightning strikes can travel through. 
the electrical oh, yeah. uh, systems and, and, and plumbing I've, systems. Yep. And and I've I've uh, you know the local newspaper, the Tallahassee Democrat, they sort of had a good time with uh, you know. Uh, Weather guy's house hit by lightning, so they wrote uh, an article about it, uh, which was all in good fun. Sure. But it was, uh, it, it's still. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be dealing with the aftermath for for quite some time. I'm still, you know, dealing with replacing a lot of equipment. I'll obviously be dealing with my insurance adjuster uh, for quite some time. But um, small price to pay compared to what could have happened if if one of my children was injured. Well, and I know you have your home so meteorologically outfitted. You've got yes. weather stations, whatnot. Any, any lightning rods, or will you consider any in the well, future? So, um, actually. I, so my home has two buildings. Okay, I have my main home, okay, and then which is a big footprint. It's about ninety five hundred square feet, and then I have another building, which was actually Mr. Johnson's basketball court. Okay, so the basketball court is still there, and then I have a home office there. On top of that building, I actually have a lightning detection antenna. So uh, long story short, this antenna used to be used by WSI which was one of the properties oh, sure. of the weather company. Yeah, we actually yep. have had some of those. Just- so now now um, WSI gets their lightning from Visala. Yes. Um, and when I started my relationship with WSI, they said, you know, we have some lightning antennas in North Florida that are not working anymore, and we're looking for some host sites. Do you have any schools that might be interested? I says, well, heck with the schools. I'd like to be a host site. Uh, so, you know, I had to have like a site survey. So then this lightning detection antenna, about 20 feet, is installed on top of that that building and is still managed by the company that used to provide their lightning data to WSI. So that is a piece of infrastructure that is still intact. Right. Uh, my weather station itself, like the weather stem station, is actually not on the house. Okay. It's out in the backyard and it was unaffected by the system. Oh, good. And and yeah. a concern I had was, oh great, people are gonna see this article and think, oh well we're not gonna get weather stem because <laughs> then our building or something's gonna get struck by lightning. But I, I assure any listeners that it was uh, truly a <laughs> coincidence. Yeah, it sounds like it was just a complete coincidence. <laughs> we we have at the University of Georgia, we have several mm-hmm. weather stem units that um, you, you've uh, graciously provided mm-hmm. to university for mm-hmm. research and educational mm-hmm. purposes, and we've not had any issues with yes, them at all. Yes, so, not good. Uh, yeah, so we're and, and also my son's elementary school, Alcove Elementary yeah, in, in Gwinnett County. In Gwinnett County mm-hmm. uh, so, um, you know, it's interesting though. I know you have some interest in lightning from a research yes. capacity. Tell mm-hmm. us about some of your interest there from a research, because I know we've talked about them sure. in the past. So, in in our weather stem program, you know, we leverage our um, partnership with some companies that provide us lightning data. So, in, in the weather stem app, in the weather stem website, we can show you where is lightning happening in real time. We can show you where lightning has happened. What I'm intrigued by is being able to take uh, remote sensed weather data maybe weather balloon data, and use it to give quantitative information about where is lightning going to occur, where is it about to occur. So predicting predicting yes, the yep. next strike. Mm-hmm. And I personally, I, I um, started, while I was in graduate school at Florida State, I started an educational software company. And that's what I did for about 17 years before I started WeatherStem. Right. Um, so my intention originally was to get a doctorate, to get a PhD in meteorology. And I still have And that, I know you're still talking yep, about it. I We've still, have that, I still have that burning ambition. Absolutely. And, and one of the uh, faculty members that I've spoken with is Dr. Henry Fuelberg at Florida State University, who's a very well-known no, well. researcher in, in the field of lightning and, and has, is doing some very interesting things with lightning prediction. And if I can orient my life accordingly as far as balancing, you know, weather stem and my children and, and you know, any other sort of things, I, I would very much like to uh, dig into that and, and eventually emerge with some pioneering technologies that the public can use that can help them be better prepared. And, and you know, in, like the NCAA has this protocol, um, if lightning occurs within eight miles of a venue, 
that venue has to be cleared for no participation can take place for 30 minutes. 30 minutes until there's but, no more lightning yeah, But what if we knew with confidence that that delay was only going to need to be 15 minutes? Right. Or what if we knew it was going to be four hours? Um, you know, that could save a lot of money. That could save a lot of time. So that that is something that really intrigues me. Yeah, and I think you should definitely uh, – I know the American Meteorological Society has a committee that or has been looking into sort of updating some of these standards given mm-hmm. some of what you're just talking about. So I'm, I know they'd be interested as well. Welcome back to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm talking with my good friend and colleague, Ann Bansuri, from WeatherStem. And we, we were just talking about sort of an isolated incident where his home was recently struck by lightning. I want to get now into more what WeatherStem is because it is, I, I am, it is amazing. And I, I, I need to tell a little short story here before we really dive into this because I got interested in meteorology in sixth grade. Okay. I made all of the weather instruments out of things around the house and did a science project called Can a Sixth Grader Predict the Weather? And um, wrote a book about this uh, a little later called Dr. Fred's Weather Watch. And we talk about how we make weather instruments from things around the house. My point there is that was the impetus Mm -hmm. that took me into a career that has spanned NASA, the University of Georgia, the Weather Channel, and many Mm -hmm. other places. So you have taken weather stations to the next level. Talk about WeatherStem. Sure. So, um, uh, you know, what we do with WeatherStem is uh, we go to sites like schools and we set up a, a modern weather station. And weather is a very visual science. So even when we talk to kids as young as kindergartners, one of the first things we'll talk about are clouds. What do they look like? What are they called? What do they mean? So, um, you know, there's an infrastructure part of WeatherStem where we're actually installing this modern, relatively low-cost equipment. But the really exciting thing, as far as I'm concerned, is what do we do with the information and the data that those systems collect? Well, we use it to drive a web, mobile, and social media platform where, first and foremost, we take that information and we integrate it into curriculum right. that is aligned with our next-generation science standards. So you're, you're, you're not just sort of figuring this out and throwing things out there. You're aligned with core standards oh, that yeah. K-12 educators have to think yeah. about. Yeah, both. Uh, you know, our, our focus originally had been on Florida. Florida has a um, statewide set of educational standards called the Florida Next Generation Science Standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, the Next Generation Sun state standards. There's a, a federal initiative, the Next Generation Science Standards, and our curriculum is all built with the on the foundational pillars of those standards. Uh, so, and, and we think that there's an exciting opportunity to engage students more with live data. Um, what's happening now, make it more relevant to them, as opposed to learning about maybe mean, median, and mode with data made up by who knows who, who knows when, who knows where, uh, give the student the opportunity to have it something that's being collected from instruments they can look outside the door and see. Right, I see. So, yeah, and and one of the things that's really interesting about the weather station is the, and one of the most exciting features I know for people that watch the WeatherStem sites is the the high definition video cameras mm-hmm. and cloud laps uh, ca- cloud mm-hmm. cameras. Mm-hmm. Those are awesome. What 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 uh, how what goes into that and why did you add that to the sure. system? So the way the WeatherStem system works is each camera it'll take a picture once a minute. Okay, and we record the pictures and the data perpetually, so we never get rid of the data or images, so that you can go back and historically view it. So we just came up with this idea that you know, what if we could, at the end of a day, take all of the pictures that were taken during the day and sort of concatenate them into this movie? Uh, and and interestingly, with WeatherStem, even though I'm a meteorologist and that's my passion, I would say about eighty percent of my day job with WeatherStem is more of a software developer <laughs> than as a meteorologist. 
So you know, I'm I'm our chief programmer. That's I'm I I like programming. So you're not just the CEO running the company. You're in the, you're in the weeds oh, of yeah, every yeah. aspect. Yeah. of Yeah. And and I I what's interesting is you know you, for me my interest in programming goes back a long way. When I learned in like 1984 that I could connect my Apple II computer to a phone line and access the airport's electronic bulletin board ASCII text weather maps, I was hooked on programming. So for me, programming and weather have always been a parallel with each other. Well, and, and they are. For yep. any, any young people listening that want to go into meteorology, I mean, we all had to take programming classes if, in meteorology. If, if someone hired me as a programmer and said, okay, we need you to build this accounting software, I'd be fired within a week. Right. Um, because, but for me, if, if I'm programming with something that's connected to my passion of weather, I excel at it and I really enjoy it. Sure. So if, if someone came down and said, Ed, you know, here's a billion dollars, you can go hire as many programmers as you want. I still would be our chief programmer. I really enjoy it. So, so you, for just, me, you just enjoy doing it. I really do. I, I, I don't, by the way. Yeah. I, I mean, I see in Fortran, I took all of those Ooh. things, but yeah. boy, I just never, I mean, and I've done programming, mm -hmm. but I think it's some people love it and some people don't. It, you know, it, it, again, it's, it's all based on it, the context for me. If it's something to do with weather, I like coming up with ideas. Like some people come up with an idea and they paint. Um, I come up with an idea for WeatherStem and being able to use programmatic languages uh, and and more modern, faster CPUs to make that pro that idea a reality. I, I really enjoy that. So you know the the cloud camera movies. When you look at it in WeatherStem, one of the things that's really cool is as the movie plays, it superimposes the graph of the weather for the day. So you can see this cause and effect. You can see, oh, well, a cloud just moved in front of the sun on the movie, and look how the temperature just dipped. Yes. And, and being able to see the interrelationship with all the different weather variables superimposed on the video, it's a really powerful teaching tool. Well, you know, it, I guess last year we had the eclipse, big eclipse event at mm -hmm. the oh, University yeah. of Georgia Sanford yep. Stadium. Yep. And one of the beautiful things about that is we could see the time-lapse movie from our weather mm -hmm. stem units at UGA, uh, and we could also see the exact point when the we had the peak eclipse, ninety nine percent. But also we could see the dip in the temperature in the weather stem unit. And as you know, we yeah. had it on the jumbo. I know that, that 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 was really really neat. Yeah. That was that was exciting, and we were very proud yes. to have our weather stem view on the UGA Sanford Stadium uh, football yeah, stadium that scoreboard. Was, that was so cool. That, now, one of the things, speaking of stadiums, mm -hmm. one of the cool features because I'm a sports fan, particularly mm -hmm. college football. One of the cool features of your weather stem is that for these football stadiums, you actually have weather information dating back for every game played in that stadium. So if you're curious yeah. about what happened at Florida State mm -hmm. uh, at a game 30, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, weather-wise, mm -hmm. you can get that. That's what, right. Why'd you put that in? Uh, the There's a lot... From an educational perspective, I've learned that there's a lot of kids that are really interested in sports but don't give, really give a rat's tail about science. Sure. Uh, so what if we could help kids understand that there's a lot of science in sports? So that led to this idea of let's put together a feature that lets people go through and see how weather impacted different sporting events at their favorite football stadium. Right. So we were able to obtain a database of historical football and then access some of the climatology databases that we have access to and just create this feature. And we're doing one where, as we speak, um, back on my computer at home, I've got the code up. Uh, we're going to be releasing one for the NFL very soon as very well. Nice. So, so you've primarily been dealing with colleges up to this yeah, point. Yeah, and, and most of the football stadiums where we've been able to introduce our program at this point have been college. We have WeatherStem in our first 
NFL Stadium, Heinz Field up in Pittsburgh, and we hope to add more. So now, how just how many weather stem units are out there? There's about 300. We, so there's about 350 weather stem units. Most of them concentrated in Florida. Then we also have a partnership with a company called Earth Networks, who are the innovators behind Weatherbug. Weatherbug, yep. sure. So Weather uh, Earth Networks contacted me a little more than a year ago and said, you know, we've been looking at your program. Uh, we really are impressed with it. So Earth Networks are our leaders in weather instrumentation. So they they're probably one of our only competitors as far as going to a site, setting up instruments, taking the data and using it to drive, um, you know, health and safety, education. So they're an authorized reseller of WeatherStem because our, we're pretty right now. We're a small company. We're pretty locally scoped to the southeast right now. So if, if we got a call from someone in Washington state right now and said, you know, we, we love this program, we want to bring it to our school, we're a little challenged right now. So with our partnership with Earth Networks, we're able to leverage their, you know, physical resources, their 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 human resources to go set that up. So we, we hope to be able to, you know, continue to grow that opportunity to have a, a means to spread WeatherStem further across the country. So if you include all of our Earth Networks affiliated stations, about 125, and all of the ones we set up, about 350, we're, we're getting close to about 500 of these systems. And, and I, I know it's important, you know, these are important, not just from K through 12, but to have these sort of meso networks which we're going to talk about later uh one of the sort of best examples i can think of in a research capacity mode is the oklahoma oh, mesonet yes. out mm -hmm. in oklahoma it has very important roles mm -hmm. in meteorological and climatological uh applications uh i want to kind of circle back around the weather stem though because you have some really interesting i, I want people to understand that this is just not a weather station that's taking the temperature and the wind direction and speed, mm -hmm. those are important things. But I was on the golf course mm -hmm. this past weekend, and I remember you talking to me about various, you know, applications that are things that could be connected that mm -hmm. can give you information on green yep. condition, greens conditions mm -hmm. for golf courses, perhaps agricultural soil moisture mm -hmm. for growing tomatoes. Talk about some of those sort of specialized capabilities. Sure. So in addition to the weather instrumentation, at many sites we will take advantage of opportunities to introduce other probes. For instance, we have one of our partner sites is the Penn State Golf Course. And there, in addition to the weather station that's on top of their clubhouse, we have some probes down on the putting green that are actually taking measurements of the amount of moisture in the soil, the temperature of the soil, and the amount of condensation on the surface of the, the ground. So those, are, those factors are going to determine everything from how, how much speed the putts will have, uh, and all sorts of other uh, yeah, we you know, all, details. If you play golf, you know about those slower, fast mm -hmm. greens. Yep. So that's important. And, and then, of course, um, you know, from a meteorological perspective, you know, like the game of golf, you're supposed to use, I think, a higher compression ball in more humid conditions. So how can we make? How can we put that information at the fingertips? of a golfer to take that information that's being collected on site and give them a more enjoyable golfing experience. And, and just right on cue there, one of the things I wanted to also ask you about is each of these weather stem stations has their own social media yeah. identity, right? Mm -hmm. Talk, yeah. Tell us about that. So when we, so the program again started scope to schools and we wanted to have something that was uh, more useful than to just the teachers and students. So I, I live about a half a mile from the elementary school where my children attend. And um, it seems that if, if you're, um, you know, in the communities around that school, then, you know, there's an opportunity to know, well, exactly how much rain did we get? 
So we wanted to create something that would engage the people in the neighborhoods around the school. So we said, well, what if we could set up a every weather station with its own Twitter and Facebook page? So we have this programmatic implementation where every time we set up a new weather STEM system, a Facebook page, a Twitter page get created. They get customized with the logos, and then they get automatically updated throughout the day. Forecasts, if something significant is happening, like we have a very heavy rain rate, um, every morning at sunrise, every evening at sunset, Every night at midnight, we take the movie from the day and we post it to those. And some of them have thousands of followers. Sure. So it's it's been really exciting. And and if I might tell you a very quick story about how Weather STEM started, where the idea came from, it actually has to do with my son Max, my autistic son. So again, I said I live about a half a mile from the elementary school where I go, where my kids go. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever spent any time around autistic children, they are into doing the same thing all the time. And one of my routines with my son was walking to school. Um, So when he was in kindergarten, we walked to school every morning. I walked him home every afternoon. Didn't matter if it was raining. It didn't matter if it was 100 degrees or 20 degrees. He wants to walk. So there was one morning in particular. I think this was like 2013. And um, I thought, in all my wisdom, that it was going to be 70 degrees and sunny. And um, it ended up being about 50 and raining. So we got to school. We were both wearing shorts and a T-shirt. And he was shivering. I remember some parents kind of looking at me like, what's wrong with this guy? And on the walk home, I was like, boy, what an idiot I am. You know, I have a weather station in my backyard. (laughs) I have a master's degree in meteorology, and I can't even figure out how to dress my son for school. So I wrote a very quick program, okay? I wrote a little program that sends me a text every morning at 7 that tells me what's the temperature, what's the high going to be, what's the chance of rain. So for the following weeks, that ended up being a very useful resource to make a decision about how to dress Max for our walk to school. So I said, you know, this was so useful to me, I created a little Twitter page and had that page updated every morning. And I sent a link to the principal. She sent it out apparently to, you know, some people. And then all of a sudden there were all these people following it. So that was one of the things that sort of sparked the initial genesis of, of WeatherStem. And then I started getting into, well, what else could we do with local information? Is there an educational application to it? Uh, And then it just came to, you know, I think there's a real value of having a weather information system at a school that also serves the communities around that school. Welcome back to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm talking with Ed Mansouri about weather stem, weather stations, lightning strikes, and all kinds of things in between. And I think it's important, something you said there in the last segment, these aren't really just weather stations. They're weather information systems. For one, for one there's something called the ZAP map. Yeah. <laughs> yep. The ZAP map. Yep. And Tell us what the Zap Map is and why someone that maybe maybe isn't a weather geek and cares about day-to-day weather t- conditions might be, find the Zap Map useful. Sure. So when you go to a, all of our weather stem systems have their own website. And on that website, it'll show you how far away was the closest lightning in the last five minutes. And that number will be a link. And when you click that link, it opens up this North American map that we call the Zap Map. And it actually shows us in real time where lightning is happening. And there will be little different colored markers for the lightning bolts indicating the direction of the bolt. Is it a ground-to-cloud strike? Is it a cloud-to-ground? Is it in between clouds? And every time it there's a lightning bolt, it makes this little zap sound. Uh, so it's not only a very engaging tool in the classroom because, you know, to be able to, hey, 
kids, let's look at where lightning is happening. It's also very useful to, I use it all the time. I use it all the time to see, you know, can we get in the pool? Uh, so it's, uh, and you can zoom in, zoom out. And we get that lightning data from um, our partners, Earth Networks. We're, so they're a customer of ours. They, they purchase our curriculum. We're a customer of theirs. We purchase their lightning data. Um, so, you know, that information comes directly into our platform in real time, and we're able to put it up on this interface for our users. Yeah, and, and as we are actually taping this podcast to be aired at a later date, it actually is Lightning Safety Awareness Week, mm -hmm. and it's interesting. I was I mentioned being on the golf course just this past Sunday. We were on the 17th, 18th hole, and I said, well, we better wrap it up. There were some thunderstorms around. Mm -hmm. It was lightning right near and thundering right near us. And I said, it's, it's thundering. That lightning's pretty close. And one of the guys I was playing with says, oh, no, it's not lightning. I got an app that'll tell me when it's lightning, but it's not lightning yet. I said, mm -hmm. remember, thunder is caused by the lightning. Sure. So I think the more information and tools that we can have for people for lightning, like this sap map, the mm -hmm. better. Now, I want to pivot a bit again and now talk about something that you're involved with called meso, these meso networks. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and is this the concept of the peach stems and orange stems that uh, yes. I've heard mm -hmm. you talk about in the past? Yeah. So I, we talked about the Oklahoma Mesonet before, and that sort of is a very inspirational site and a very inspirational effort. And, and I've had a chance to meet some of the folks like Dr. Scott Richardson from Penn State who used to be in charge of, for, of a lot of the hardware for the Oklahoma Mesonet. And it seems like there's a lot of Mesonets out there that are scoped to different purposes. So uh, there's some that are you know more agricultural in nature. Yeah, we have one the, here at the Georgia. University of Georgia yeah. that's very agricultural mm -hmm. focused, yep. run by Pam Knox, my colleague. Yeah, yeah. And um, there, there's some that are more geared toward uh, emergency management. So we've created – so once we got to over 200 weather stem systems in Florida – uh, you know, I look at the weather stem systems as sort of a hyper-local dashboard. What's going on at that location in the immediate vicinity? And we thought that, you know, we have at least one in all 67 counties. You know, they all have cameras. We thought there was an opportunity to do something with all that information. So we've created this statewide weather dashboard that we call Orange Stem in honor of our state fruit, the orange. So when you go to Orange Stem, uh, you know, you'll see this map of Florida and you'll see little icons representing where we have all of these weather stem systems. But we've also been able to partner with the National Weather Service. So we're showing their data, all the major airports in Florida, Weatherbug. The University of Florida has a similar initiative to Georgia, the Florida Automated Weather Network. So there, when you open the, the app, you'll see this little orange slice that shows you know what is going on exactly at that location. And you can drag it around the state, you can click on a part, part of the state, and it'll update in real time to show you how far away is lightning, uh, you know, very hyper-local conditions. We also, another one of our partners is um, the IBM, which is big in the weather business now, the weather company. Sure. Um, they're providing us lifestyle forecasts. So they're showing you know, how will weather impact you if you have dry skin or if you are prone to frizzy, unmanageable hair. So all these exotic and very practical data points go into this orange stem. So long-term, one of our strategies is, is to, in addition to focusing on marketing these weather stem systems, which are hyper-local information systems, to somehow find ways to partner with entities, either private or corporate, to set up these statewide weather dashboards. And we're working on the peach stem for Georgia. Sure. We're also in the planning stages of the palmetto stem for South, South Carolina. Carolina sure. So it's, it's exciting. And, um, uh, you know, we've um, I, I would encourage any listeners to just check out Orange Stem to, to see our vision for it. And, of course, 
the, there's a very strong educational component to it as well. There's a lot, all the educational curriculum that's aligned to Florida standards shows up very easily accessible in this Orange Temple platform. And I was talking to a, uh, actually a former PhD student of mine who's now at Auburn University, Shandana Mitra, and I understand that there's some things that you're trying to do even in Alabama, or is that still in the early stages? It's in, yeah, we, we spoke with some of their folks. Um, there's, uh, you know, there was that terrible uh, BP oil spill. And uh, so there's some some of the damages they had to pay are leading to some grants. So I know the the folks at Auburn are looking to use some of that BP money to set up weather stations at schools along the Alabama Gulf Coast. So we had an opportunity to have a conversation with them, and hopefully it'll go somewhere because we'd love to see more expansion of weather stem into Alabama, particularly because it's so close to Florida. Right, and that, and that's actually where I wanted to go next because you're you're I consider you a visionary in the field of meteorology and things that you're doing. So where do you see? I'm not talking about a year from now, but five years from now, ten years from now, what, what do you see uh, in terms of not only your meso networks or weather stem, but where, where do you see all of this going? New users, how, sure. just give me your I, vision of the future. For I would love to see weather stem become more useful to businesses. Um, from a you know that for a long time, a lot of big companies like airlines have been able to like if New York City gets a blizzard. American Airlines can have ads show up on you know the New York Times website. But how can we make that same power available to small businesses? Because any business you mentioned, you know, whether it's a corner corner store or a movie theater, I, I would guarantee that there is an interrelationship to their sales, to their inventory. Oh, the, to, the literature shows that. To sure. weather, yep. So how can we create a decision-making tool that lets them use the data like these weather stem systems collect uh, to make decisions as far as inventory, as far as purchasing is concerned. Uh, so that's really where I see WeatherStem going. And my heart will always be in education. But I, I found that you know we, we need, WeatherStem needs to focus on serving additional industries to be able to generate the financial support yeah, for this gotta, program. Yeah, you got to make a little money. Yeah, <laughs> sure. yeah. And, and that's how we've gotten into emergency management. And you know there's a lot of counties in Florida where the counties have purchased WeatherStem systems to augment their situational awareness for emergency management. And in some instances, they're actually hosting the systems at schools. I want to kind of play off of this emergency management because I have seen some of the things that you've posted and tweeted during landfalling hurricanes, mm -hmm. for example, and sort of how your weather stem systems are capturing these. So you're saying now that the emergency management community is kind of looking into your systems yeah. and starting and, to uh, utilize them. And, and another thing to, to follow up on that question, as well as, you know, the question you asked about where we see things going. Another thing I want to point out is I would love in five years to see all of our systems 100 percent solar powered and cellular. Okay, some a lot of our systems now are coupled to ground-based power and internet, and if if you have a a, a severe weather situation, that's when you're most interested in monitoring and, the weather, but also probably vulnerable. That's right, yeah. Sure. So we had one one of our success stories is, um, and we we publicized this on our website. You know, there's a bridge in Florida, the St. George Island Bridge. It's, oh, it's, been across it you know, many times, Franklin County, sure. and um, it is uh, you know beautiful beach uh, community. And the weather station we have near that bridge is powered by a 200 watt solar panel. It's connected to the internet via a you know little cellular device. And in the last few tropical systems that have affected that part of Florida, the power and internet have been out throughout the entire area. But that system continued, didn't miss a single data transmission or image transmission. And we had the subtropical storm Alberto 
a few uh, last month. Sure. And the Franklin County folks, emergency management folks, actually were using that weather stem system to make a call. When do we need to close the bridge and when can we reopen it? So that, that's another area from a technological perspective. I see it's going to become less expensive and easier to be able to cut the cord and not have to depend on ground-based electricity, not have to depend on ground-based Internet. And, you know, you hear this IoT, Internet of Things. I sort of consider WeatherStem to be in that realm. So you have things. You have cameras. You have weather stations. You're making them Internet-aware and you're using that information for strategic purposes. So, is your weather stem capacity, or perhaps future capacity, is it integrating any non sort of ground weather station type information? What I mean by that is you know, perhaps things from satellites or from the Doppler radar system. Well, sure. When when you um, go to the weather stem interface, when you go to the website, there is a radar and satellite link. Okay? Sure. And we are, again, one of our, we're a customer of IBM, the weather company. So the radar and satellite imagery, we're getting directly from them. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of, in our weather stem program, probably about 20% of the information is actually coming from our weather stem systems and cameras. The other 80% comes from these lightning feeds, satellite and radar, weather balloon data that we get from Unisys. So it, it's sort of like a big... Matt, I call it uh, digital alchemy. Um, you know, we're we're sort of bringing bringing in a mashup of a lot of different things. And I think you know, in the future, the the future of innovation, I think, is almost more about assimilation than invention. Explain, explain what you mean by that, because assimilation is an important word in the field of meteorology in general. Sure. Some of our weather models that make mm -hmm. our day to day weather forecast assimilation mm -hmm. processes are used. And frankly, that's the primary difference between the European model and the mm -hmm. American GFS model and why there's some differences in skills sometimes. They use different d data assimilation sure. techniques. Talk about what that is to, sure. the, to the listeners. Sure. So, you know, you have a, a lot of individual components that people have innovated. People have created, you know, radar technology, satellite technology, weather balloons. Um, so all these individual things have value. But being able to see them individually and assimilate them into a program where the sum is greater than the individual parts, that takes almost as much experience and talent as inventing something new. So we, we focus a lot on what are the pieces out there that we can assimilate together that have one powerful net outcome. Right. And so that's kind of something that you've really, I, I see that as well and sort mm -hmm. of knowing a little bit about your company. Mm -hmm. Now in these last few minutes, uh, I'm just going to kind of give you the mic. Okay. Now, what do you want listeners to know, Weather Geeks listeners? We've got a very sort of wide cast of listeners mm -hmm. from the enthusiasts to sort of pure weather geeks, just sure. one just pa passing through. Tell us about what you would sort of leave as your stamp for our listeners. Well, I would really um, like uh, folks that listen to this podcast um, to actually take the time to look at these systems we've developed. Uh, you know, look at some of the weather stem websites and social media platforms. Tell, tell us now and tell us what some of those are so that they'll know. Okay, sure. So if, if you go to the Orange Stem, so orangestem.com, that's, that's the, the website of the app. And from there, you can get lost playing and exploring. Okay, um, you can easily go from you know one site to another, and uh, also recognize that we want to find a way to bring this technology to schools, to you know municipalities all across the country. Uh, that that's our business goal. That's our our long term strategy because we believe that um, one of the benefits of this is going to be enhanced weather literacy. Uh, we we feel that for Florida, um, you know, I live in a state that has you know more people die of lightning than any other state. 
were three in tornadoes. Um, so you know these the, little things called hurricanes. Oh yeah, yeah. We just have this little hurricane issue. <laughs> sure. You know, we just had a horrible forest fire. Sure. You know, near that bridge we were talking about before. So we think that Florida and there's many other states in this situation. The young people in those states uh, should be empowered with more knowledge of weather to help better face some of these challenges we're going to have. You know, our, our population is expanding. Uh, you know, more people are grow are going to be living in tornado and hurricane-prone areas. So we think there's a real opportunity for enhanced weather literacy. So we think weather STEM could be a really good um, champion of that. So um, we I would just like to get people to view the systems and think about um, what contacts they might have and their local school board, uh, their local school district to reach out to us and help us spread this program uh, to more parts of the country. And, and how can they reach? Is there is there a way people can reach you directly? Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very easy to get a hold of, ed at weatherstem.com. I'm one of those people that has my you know phone at my hip 24 hours a day. Uh, so I'm, I'm easy to get a hold of. Um, our website has our phone number. We're, we're, we're easy to get a hold of. Yeah, and they're very yeah. responsive, too. Again, as someone that has uh, several of these systems that we use at the University of Georgia uh, for research in weather and climate, and I know that others around the nation are using, at least as they're expanding, I, I know that these folks um, are very passionate about what they do and are very responsive. So I want to thank you for uh, joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for joining us. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard, University of Georgia, and that's the Weather Geek podcast. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.